Greetings, beloved listeners. This is mile four of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. I am Travis alongside Benjamin. Benny, how goes it? Pretty good. You know there's nothing I love more than two dudes sitting at a table with a microphone between them. Isn't that the truth? We'd like to remind everyone of our email address, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Keep the emails rolling in. We'd love to hear your ideas on some show topics, any questions you'd like us to answer, and any critiques, of course. Last week, we looked back at the Prefontaine Classic, the final professional meet at Hayward Field as we know it in Eugene, Oregon. And tonight we are incredibly excited to look ahead to the final collegiate meet at Hayward Field, the NCAA Division I Track and Field Outdoor Championships coming to you this week, June 6 through 9. And later in the show we will have our special guest, a participant in that meet in the women's 5K, Ali Bukowski, of Furman University. For you watching at home, the TV schedule for the NCAA meet, it will be on ESPN and ESPN2 beginning Wednesday at 7.30 with ESPN2 coverage, Thursday at 7 also on The Deuce, Friday at 8.30 on ESPN, and Saturday at 7 on ESPN as well. Those times are all Eastern. It is an alternating day schedule of men's and women's events, so you will see all finals for men Friday evening and all finals for women on Saturday. We're going to take you through some of the big events coming up in Eugene this week, give you some predictions sure to go wrong, analyze the competition, and in a little special twist... For everyone who comes into our presenter run-in on Augusta Street in Greenville, you will get 2% off a pair of shoes for every correct prediction made by my partner, the fearless Benjamin M. Sessions. We have 10 events to predict. You could be getting up to 20% off your new pair of shoesies. You're welcome, Greenville. While Wednesday and Thursday on the track will be mostly semifinals, we are really excited for one event. That is the men's 10,000-meter final Wednesday evening. It will be a true test of teamwork and strategy as BYU, Alabama, Northern Arizona, Portland, and Georgetown each have multiple participants in the event NAU has the fastest one-two punch with Matt Baxter and Tyler Day, two of the three fastest runners by time this season. Benji, break it down. Absolutely. So the 10K this week is going to be my favorite event to watch, being a cross-country guy. What I'm looking for to happen in the race is the NAU guys to take control. We saw this in cross-country where they pressed the pace from the beginning. Their coach, Mike Smith, has a, a motto with his guys called GAS. And it's where they just keep pressing effort, pressing effort, and keep breaking guys off. We'll look to see aerobic powerhouse BYU send their guys on this pack, and Alabama with their Kenyan trio as well. As far as predictions go, you're going to hear it here first. I'm calling Vincent Kiprop, a Division II transplant to Alabama, to take the dub in a nasty last 100-meter kick. Ooh, okay. Spicy. Sleeper pick. You got somebody else you're thinking about? Sleeper pick. The NAU guys break away and take the one-two punch. Okay. Uh, So depending on how this plays out, you think, whether we have a sit and kick or we make a move early, what do you think is going to happen? Honestly, I believe the NAU guys are going to try and break everybody, and I think they're going to break everybody except Vincent Kipra. I agree that I think they will try to to push the pace and, and break everybody. I am going to go sleeper pick. I'm going to take Mike Tate just because I really like that guy. He's a ballsy runner. Yeah, for no other reason. Mike Tate out of Southern Utah, fan favorite. I'll be rooting for you, Mikey. Sick flow. Absolutely. And I think Mike is the kind of guy who has a future in the Seconds Flat Running Podcast singlet. I think so. We'd have to talk with Eric Avila about this. They could go halvesies. We could make make something happen there. Let's jump ahead to Friday now. We're going to go in chronological order with the events here. This is Men's Finals Day. 
right off the bat, an event that we are really looking forward to, the Men's 1500. It is Josh Kerr of New Mexico going for the indoor and outdoor mile and 1500 titles in back-to-back seasons. This has never been done before. Will it happen this year, Benjamin? It'll definitely happen this year. Kerr's a man among boys. He's won the 1500 and mile titles in many different ways from waiting to the last 200 to go, from kicking from 500 out. This guy has sick strength and speed, and he's just a deadly combination and the fastest 1,500-meter runner in NCAA history. He has the ability to win this one a lot of different ways, depending on how the race plays out. What's the competition look like? So we've got Sam Prakel from the University of Oregon. He's been undefeated except for the Brian Clay Invitational this year, winning the Pac-12 1,500-meter final and coming back just 30 minutes later to place third in the 800. So he'll do really well in the round setting that the NCAA has and looks to be really strong for that final. And then my sleeper pick is actually Rob Demanic from the University of Mississippi. Ole this Miss, hottie toddy. Hottie toddy. So this guy, besides having a sick handlebar mustache, has some of the nastiest closing speed in the NCAA. We saw him at SECs and at the East Region meet close his 1500s and 53 point with shutting it down the last 30 meters because he had the win. Also look out for Vincent Ciotti of Virginia Tech. He plays second indoors in the mile, and he always goes straight to the front to take control, so he's going to do his best to make it his race. I think Kip Rodich from Michigan State yes, could be in the mix as well. Up yep. And then I'm going to go off the board with my sleeper pick, the young pup, Sam Worley from Texas. Ooh. Yeah, a whole bundle of talent in that body. Maybe he's starting to put it together a little bit. So look out for Sam Worley in the 1500. Sam, I'm sorry that I just jinxed you and you are unlikely to even make the final (laughs) now due to my prediction, but I believe in you, big fella. Next, 110-meter hurdles features Grant Holloway from Florida. He is the three-time defending national champion, the second fastest 110-meter hurdler of all time, and last year's long jump runner-up. Add to that that his team is a heavy favorite to win another national championship. Can anyone challenge Grant Holloway in the 110 hurdles? Well, the only person with a legitimate shot is Kentucky's Daniel Roberts. Mm -hmm. And Daniel Roberts ran his personal best at the SEC meet, and he went 13.27, which was .12 behind Grant Holloway. So Grant Holloway's a full point one ahead of his closest competitor. And that's a big number in the 110 hurdles. Definitely. So he would have to have a pretty bad day if someone was going to take him down. But if someone is to do it, I'm calling Daniel Roberts from Kentucky. Yeah, I'm not even going to go off the board here. I think it's Holloway's to take. And I love his, his personality, and I hope we get to see some of that on the ESPN coverage. He's a great interview, super positive kid, and I can't wait to just see him on the national and global stage for years to come. He is going to represent the United States well. On to the 400. Michael Norman, ay, 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 ay. Can he be stopped? This guy, I'll tell you what. Now, if the top seeds advance from the semifinals, this event could have seven runners who have gone under 45 seconds for 400 meters. An incredibly strong field. Norman had the opportunity to go into the 200, where he certainly would have been a heavy favorite as well. But the Southern Cal Trojan decided to confront the competition head-on in the 400 with that event's depth. Michael Norman or the field? Who you got, Benji? Michael Norman all the way. After his performance at the West Regional Meet last week, where he split the second fastest 4x400 split of all time at 4306, don't see this guy getting beat by anybody. And what I love about Michael Norman, he's not shy about his goals at all and has already said that the sub-44 is coming at NCAAs, and I full-heartedly believe him. I'm going to say... Norman wins. I agree. I'm looking for his teammate, Ricky Morgan Jr., to see what he does in the prelims Wednesday and then the final on Friday. I feel like he's ready for a breakout. That 4x400 team is incredible. We're going to talk about them more here in a little bit. 
I'd like old Rick Jr. to have a big meet here in Eugene. Let's double the distance and double the fun now in the 800 meters. It is a showdown between Michael Cerrone of UTEP and Isaiah Harris of Penn State. Cerrone is the collegiate record holder at a minute 43.25 seconds set earlier this season. Harris is the six-time Big Ten 800-meter champion considering indoor and outdoor performances and a semifinalist at the 2017 World Championships. It seems like a mano-a-mano battle. Is it more than that, Ben? I think so. So Saruni runs into trouble where he doesn't have a specific race style, and that's come to bite him at points in his career. What I'm looking for is the race to go one of two ways, and I think that's dependent on John Lewis of Clemson making that final in the 800. John Lewis is a guy who has no fear in going out fast, and he'll take the field through in 50 point. And I think in order for Saruni to win, he needs to threaten that collegiate record again. And so he needs to go out at least 50 point, in my opinion, at least under 51. And so I think John Lewis is the guy to do it. If he doesn't take it out, Saruni's not going to hit the front, and no one in their right mind's going to jump the gun on the 143 guy in the field. So I think that leaves big kickers in the race, such as ACC champion Avery Bartlett, and then DQ'd at ACC meet, but finished third indoors Robert Heppenstall, who's known for his kick. So, who's it going to be? I'm going for the upset with Isaiah Harris. Book it! Isaiah Harris, maybe the most consistent guy in the field, is young Benji's prediction in the 800. I just think Saruni's too good, and I realize that there's a chance he might not even make the finals given his enigmatic and inconsistent running style this season. It's hard not to root for Saruni, though. He's kind of like the anti-hero in this race, walks around with all this swagger, beats on his chest. He makes the event way more exciting than what it's been in the last few years. That so. is true. Some may call him the villain of yes. the 800 meters in Eugene, but I just think he is the most talented runner in a very talented field. So I'm going to go with Saruni and make the safe pick because all my bold predictions turn out to be either one, not bold, or two, terrible. Well, worst case, Greenville, this may cost you 2%. <laughs> That's right. Next up. We're going to skip to the 5K. The tussle of Titleist. The clash of champions. The throwdown of titans. The battle of the big boys. Oh, dang it. That's all I got, man. In the 5K, defending champion Grant Fisher of Stanford. Indoor 5K and cross-country champion Justin Knight of Syracuse. And Northern Arizona's Andy Truard, the indoor 3K champion. This is going to be a heck of a battle. Benjamin, who's it going to be in the men's 5K? This race makes me super uncomfortable to make a prediction about. I am always comfortable with you being super uncomfortable. I know that from working with you. This race could be within a minute and a half spectrum of a finishing time. We could see anywhere from like 13.30 to 15 flat the way it's gone the last few years. I think depending on where that race is decides who wins the title. Grant Fisher, he won last year in a super slow 14.30. I think if it goes that slow again, he has the speed to beat anybody in the race. So Grant Fisher from Stanford, if it's a slow race. Yes. Just to clarify all that just happened. If it is 14 minutes or slower, Grant Fisher takes the title. Okay. 1350 to 13:30. I'm going Andy Truard. After indoor, he's so tactically savvy. He's within 5 seconds of Justin Knight's PR. He's the only one honestly that can compete with him kicking hard at that fast of a race. But I think Justin Knight's a little wise now after being so close to winning so many outdoor titles, and I think he's going to make a break midway through the race or at least with a mile to go. He's the strongest in the field by far evident by his cross-country title, and I think it's up to him to make the race fast if he wants to win. So, what I'm predicting, it's going to be a 1350 race with Andy Truard leading the entire last 500 meters to take the dub. Wowzers! Also, I believe you predicted that if the race is between 1350 and 14 minutes, no one will win. 
Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. It will not happen. If it's between 1350 and 14, I will resign from this podcast. I want that quoted. That's fantastic. I believe you're saying sub 1330 is where Justin Knight wants this race to be run. I think that'd be best, yes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Who's your off-the-board guy here? I'm going Amon Kemboy of Campbell University. So he's pretty underrated based solely off his 5,000 time. But at the Big South Championships in the 1500, he completely soloed a 339, which is one of the best 1500 times in the nation this year. So I think... He can scoot. Yes, he can. Some people (laughs) even call him Scooter at Campbell is what I hear. Yeah. So I actually look for him to threaten for that title as well. I say we put down a gentleman's wager on which Campbell runner finishes higher in this race. Because I got Lawrence Don't Call Me Larry Kipkoich as my Campbell dark horse in the men's 5K. And also, I think if you're not rooting for Cole Rockhold of Colorado State, you're frankly un-American. That is a beautiful man with a beautiful name from the Working Man's Program in Fort Collins, Colorado. So along with this gentleman's wager, let's make it interesting. If Amon Kimboy loses to Lawrence Kipkoich, I will send him an email addressing him as Amon. But if Amon beats Lawrence Kipkoich, you have to send him an email saying, Hey, Larry. Deal. Now, the nightcap. Four by 400 meters, the old mile relay to end things. We've got three teams at the front of the pack here. University of Southern California, Texas A&M, and Florida in a replay of the indoor battle that produced the three fastest times in history, including a world's best from USC. Ben, who are you taking in the men's 4x4? I'm going to go with USC. We've got your boy Ricky. We've got Michael Norman. And then a runner we didn't mention that's in the 400-meter hurdles, Rye Benjamin. A stud. And the only reason their indoor time is not a world record is that Rye Benjamin is not originally from the United States. And then you add Zach Shenick, who is the anchor on their 4x1 relay. That is a special four-man group. I'm going to take USC as well. And the real question is, can they set an NCAA record? Because I believe they're going to have two teams to push them. You willing to venture out on that limb? I'll stick a leg out there and say we'll see the NCAA record. And we'll see Texas A&M come out over Florida. Okay, so you're going USC, A&M, Florida in that order. I think this is the most excited I am about an event on Friday. I love the field here, and there's always that electricity that goes with four guys taking one spin around the 400-meter oval. Could we see a team title on the line? I think by that point, Florida is going to have this thing locked up. If they can just take care of business, I don't think they need to win or finish second. I think a third-place finish from Florida, just don't drop that stick. They're going to be your national champions. The Seconds Flat podcast is taking University of Florida to be your national champion on the men's side. Now we go to the women. Let's look first at the 3K steeple. Allie-o. Allie-o. Allie, if you're listening, we have a podcast co-host that would love to treat you to dinner if you're ever in the Greenville, South Carolina area. I believe Ben Sessions just formally courted Allie Ostrander of Boise State University. Ali O in the 3K steeple defending national champion. How dominant can she be? No one in the field so far this season has come within 10 seconds of her best time. Will it be competitive, Ben? I think so. I think Paige Stoner is ready to mix it up with Ali O. Paige has ran amazing at all sorts of different distances this season, including the 5,000, the 10,000, and the steeple. She has huge range, a furious kick. And I think if Alio doesn't go out and lead it from the front, it's going to be slow enough that Paige can really be a factor in this race. Yeah, I think Stonesy can play here. I'm going to go with Grayson Murphy, who has some good championship experience from Utah, as my off-the-board pick. But I'm taking Allie for the win. Definitely. Allie for the championship in the 3K steeple. We have agreement. 
Let's go to the 400 hurdles. And the drama here is not necessarily who will win, but how fast will the winner go? Sydney McLaughlin, University of Kentucky star and Olympian NCAA record holder at 52.75. Can she break the American record of 52.47? And can she come back in the 4x4 and lead Kentucky to a team title in what is sure to be a really close contest with Georgia and USC. I'll let you take the lead on that, T-Dog. Okay, I'm taking Sid the Kid to go 52.62. I'm going to say she bests her NCAA record, but doesn't set an American record. There just isn't anybody to push her here. No one else in the field has been under 55 this year, and she was 55 last week at the prelims while almost crashing through a hurdle and going down just to show how talented she is to bounce back from that and still post the time that she did. I also am going to go ahead and jump to that 4x4 and say while she is going to put down an incredible split and Kentucky might be the team to beat in that race, they are not my team pick in the women's competition. I'm going with Georgia by a hair. I love the Georgia Bulldogs storyline. Last year, just piling up points in the field events. They're going to do it again this year, but they're a little more diverse this year in their talent pool. I say Georgia just squeaks by USC and Kentucky. I'll take Georgia by two points to win this thing. I'm going to argue that. Do it. That's why we're here. Coach Real is going to have Sydney just win the 400 hurdles so she can be fresh. Surprise twist, anchors the 4x4. She's been typically running the third leg in that. So I think that, that is a plot twist. a little fresher for that. And they win the race, win the title. Okay. I'll counter by saying I think they can win the 4x4 and it might not be enough to get them a national championship. I think George has got a little more depth. You just called them by two points. That is a deep two points (laughs) i would say probably the deepest two-point margin in the history of seconds flat running podcast coverage of the ncaa meet and we're gonna blow that three to one lead we've been doing this for a lot of years the race on saturday that we are looking forward to the most though is the women's 5k the smoke show that is where Allie b our girl from Furman, will be in the field talented talented field with carissa schweitzer leading the way as she looks to double back off the 10k previously in hopes of becoming only the fifth woman to take both the 5 and 10k when we have ali in here shortly you'll hear her discussing what the race looks like more specifically she'll be accompanied by her teammate savannah carnahan who also qualified in the 5k Schweitzer is the favorite. Edna Kurgott, incredibly talented from New Mexico. Charlotte Taylor from San Francisco. It's a deep group. Allie O coming back again. What do you think happens here, Ben? I think we're going to see a disappointed Carissa Schweitzer come back from a 10,000 that she narrowly loses. (laughs) Take the field out blazing fast with Edna Kurgott and Allie O to be the only two to go with her running a 15-14 for the win. Big number. Winning by at least 50 meters. Okay. I love those specifics. I'm going to take Carissa Schweitzer. I'm going to root for Allie B, and I think she'll be right there in the mix. This race is key in the team competition, too. Jessica Drop from Georgia. How high can she finish? Because I think this might be where we squeeze out those two team points over Kentucky based on her finish in the 5K. All right, let's give the people a quick rundown of Ben's predictions. Benjamin, men's 10K. Vincent Kiprop. 1,500. Josh Kerr. 110 hurdles. Grant Holloway. 400. Michael Norman. The 800. Isaiah Harris. 5K. Andy the Beast Truard. 4x4. USC. 3K Steeple Women. My future wife, Alio. 400 Hurdles. Sid the Kid. 5K. Carissa Schweitzer. Lock that in, folks. Write it down. 
bring it into the store, see what kind of discount you get. I'm hoping it's a little better than 0%. Ben's guaranteed 20. We'll see what happens. We will certainly be watching and rooting for Ali Bukowski as she makes her attempt at a top three finish to best her fourth place previous best NCAA championships finish. Yeah, I see her eating up those people that get a little too ambitious. She's just so consistent and so solid, and that's why she's been such a decorated athlete while at Furman. Absolutely. She has helped engineer a true revival of Furman distance running, and that is a big part of why we are so excited to have her on the podcast. So coming up, you will hear the interview I recorded with Allie last week as she discusses her training leading up to the finals, her last appearance at the NCAA championships, her remarkable career, and what's next for her. Okay, now we are super excited to welcome in Furman's Allie Bukowski, multi-time All-American and school record holder at 3K and 5K indoors and 5K outdoors. Allie, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you. It is really great to have you. Allie will be competing in 5,000 meters at the NCAA championships in Eugene on Saturday, June 9th, after winning her heat at the East Prelim in Tampa last weekend. Could you describe your experience in Tampa for us a little bit? So we got down pretty early, earlier than I'm used to for racing a Saturday event, but we had um, people from the 1500 and up um, besides the 10K racing. So it was really exciting to go out and watch them race um, pretty much every day leading up to my race, which made it extremely emotional. And it was really kind of hot and muggy down there. So trying to balance a lot of physical things and a lot of just mental things, you know, how mentally tough our sport is. And so that was a lot of my experience leading up to the race. And then the race itself, it actually played out pretty much how I thought it would, um, which is, I guess, kind of nice. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. plan actually worked how you <laughs> yeah. wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you mentioned the weather. The, the coverage that I watched of some of the events, it just looked like a nightmare down yeah. there. Uh, what was that experience racing in those conditions like? Well, luckily, I avoided the most of it. I think the 1500s had, or at least the uh, finals of the 1500s, had a lot of rain coming down, and mm-hmm. I was indoors during that point in time. So that was nice. Uh, it started to sprinkle a little bit during our race and kind of during our warm-up, but at, I mean, at the point that you're getting ready to race, it doesn't really matter what it's like. You're Everyone's experiencing it, and you're going to get out there and run no matter what. Uh, it was just kind of muggy during the day. So a lot of our practices and, uh, like easy runs and stuff leading up to it, we would just go earlier in the day to try to stay out of the, you know, super hot parts of the day. Um, and we were on trail systems and the shade, it was kind of nice, which was terrifying because there's a lot of things that can kill you in Florida. As someone who used to live there and <laughs> ran in those conditions, I can vouch for that. Yes. Yeah, I, we at one point we were doing our, so my coach Rita Gary, she graduated from, um, that school and so we were going through all of our old like trail routes and stuff and we hit one point and it was like a couple minutes before the it was a big loop but we were like all right it's about to be like you can't turn back and so we hit one part there it was just a stream and it was just along the stream for like miles and I was like no like, <laughs> I'm not going that way and so we just turned around and went back the other way that was fun I don't think my uh, my teammate Savannah Carnahan was there with me and I, I like definitely sprinted parts of that run and she was not happy about it yeah but, pushing the pace a little bit yeah I was like I want out of here <laughs> yeah cool and I I love what you said there at the point when you're getting ready to race it really doesn't matter yeah what it's like everybody's facing those conditions mm-hmm. and and that's all part of the preparation knowing that at a preliminary it's going to be tactical and the goal is mm-hmm. pretty simple for the most part what do I need to do to advance to the next round how do you prepare for that style of race uh, well, I think we did a lot of preparation of just working on end of race speed, um, working on mechanics and just being able to cut down the last like 300 of a race. I, I don't feel like I've ever had that in my tool belt. And so I really wasn't nervous when it went out slow. I was like, well, this feels very comfortable. It's basically my threshold pace and I know that I can kick. We've done pretty much 1500s all season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I looked at my teammate that wasn't the race with me and I, I made contact with I contact with Savannah and I was like all right it's about to get hard I'm about to go and we went and you know I pushed from pretty far out uh but I felt fine and then I was still able to close down the last lap which was um good to see had you two planned going into that to work together in that way uh, uh I don't know if that's something that we really needed to plan I, I mean we've run together so much that it's just second nature at this point 
but Rita kind of gave me the green light just sort of she's like whenever you feel like you can go and finish in the top five and not fall out of that then you go it's like whether that's lap like 10 to go or three to go or five to go whatever it is like that's when you go and you go and so I felt like I could um, control the race and still come out um, winning or if not winning like at least making it at the roughly three laps to go mark and so when that happened I was like all right Savannah like you're you're ahead of me like I want to make sure that you see that I'm going and I think just having um, I mean you have to ask her this but I feel like in my own experience kind of knowing when the move's made you can wrap your head around it and like all right now I'm going Um, so just trying to give her as much warning as possible yeah that's great yeah teamwork there can you describe where when you made that move in the race uh so it was it was down the home stretch right before three laps to go okay um yeah so so you did push early yeah uh so Looking ahead from that, you win your prelim, move on to mm-hmm. Eugene uh, for the NCAA championships in uh, a really great field in the 5K that you're going to yeah. run in. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a very good field. Obviously, Carissa Schweitzer from Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, Edna Kurgott, New Mexico, uh, Ali Ostrander from, from Boise, among others. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of great competitors in the field. What are your goals in that race? And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about any experiences racing against some of these other women before. Yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of hard. So goals going into the race, I've been an All-American in the event before. And so that's something that I want to replicate. And I also want to, I mean, a goal of mine coming into Furman was, can I be in the top three in a national championship? And I haven't done that. The closest I've gotten is fourth indoors. And so that's a goal and I'm going to put it out there. And I don't, I don't know if really a whole lot of people think I can, but I have the confidence and my coach has the confidence that, I can at least put myself in the position to be there. And I feel like the East region compared to the West region, we haven't been getting um, as much publicity. And I don't know if we should because we haven't run as fast as they have. But that doesn't mean we can't. Yeah, racing head-to-head is a different story. Um, Yeah, And so, yeah, racing head-to-head with, I think the last time I raced Carissa would have been cross-country nationals. I I haven't raced her because I didn't race indoors. And we didn't, Mm -hmm. didn't see her outdoors at all. But, you know, she had an off race there I passed her at a K to go but that I don't think that's indi- indi- like I think she can run faster than that and yeah. I, she definitely has sure um, and so it's kind of an anomaly race for her um and then Edna was actually she used I used to race her all the time before she transferred to New Mexico because she was you know in the southeast for cross country and we used to go back and forth so it's like well if she can progress and be where she is now then it's like well why can't I do that so yeah um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. I think a good source of confidence yeah. to know you've been competitive with her. Yeah. And some of those uh, women are also going to be doubling too, which yep. of course yep. affects. Yeah, Chris is doubling, Allie's doubling, but all of them have proven that they can do it. Yeah. And they're still going to be gamers when it comes time to the 5K. Uh, and then the New Mexico girls, I don't think are. So they'll be fresh legs. So mm-hmm. it's going to make for a very interesting race, I think. I, I could see New Mexico trying to push and you know, run the kick out of some of the other girls. I could see Carissa just trying to take it and run away with it like she did last year, or at least partway through the race last year. It could go so – it could just sit around. Carissa's not afraid to let it sit, um, and she's definitely, I would say, the favorite. I feel like a lot of people are going to key off of her. Whatever way it goes, I'm ready to race it. So I know it's going to be hard no matter what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be great competition, and you've shown the ability to – race different ways like that too and be successful (laughs) uh so you've had a lot of previous championship race experience Mm -hmm. how does that affect your preparation and your approach for this trip uh, a last trip to an ncaa championship yeah i think you learn a lot about like what to expect and i mean even where you check in and like just Mm -hmm. stuff like that that can usually just cause a little uneasiness i don't have to worry about that like I've been to this track before at this type of level um, and I know what to expect and so as far as that's concerned it's like you know not as terrifying I think the first time I went I'm pretty I think I I was so nervous I threw up like five minutes before we left the hotel for my warm-up like I it just like why I I never throw up like why am I so nervous right now so it's like that kind of stuff like I, I don't have that factor anymore but it is like my last one and so that adds another level of pressure that I didn't previously have so I'll have to work through some of that but yeah I, I, it, it helps and it also kind of hurts because you're expected to be there expected to do something mm-hmm. um, you gotta live up to those expectations or at least you know try and beat them I think it's always important to go into a championship race trying to be better than you've been before you're running it at historic Hayward Field yeah uh, I am you know the maybe most incredible venue it's... in the country to run at and 
the place is going to change dramatically. We mm-hmm. just put out an episode looking at some of the great moments in the history of Hayward Field. What's it mean to you to run there and your perspective on the history of everything that mm-hmm. is Tracktown USA? I I think it's very special. And I think it's really cool that I'm ending my collegiate career, at least, on a field like, I mean, this there's nothing that compares to this. We don't have anything else in the United States that is Hayward. Like there's something that it's like, it's Hayward magic. Like people call it that. And it's track town, like for a reason. Um, you see, I think one of the best pictures I've seen of me running is down the home stretch last year and everyone is standing. Yeah. Like it's just, they care so much. And I haven't been to a meet in the States, at least for like a college meet where that's happened. And so I think it's going to be sad to lose the iconic stands. Um, But I also think it's a cool next step. I mean, if they can fill a stadium like the one that they're supposed to build there, like that would be so sweet. But it would be sad for me for a lot of – I was talking to um, one of our freshmen, Chrissy Gear, who's actually – she raced there for um, like the Oregon Twilight or Oregon Mm – one of the Oregon meets. Um, She raced there earlier this season. Um, and our coaches sent out a lot of those girls that might not be able to come back to the championships, which she actually made NCAA, so she'll get to go back there again. Um, and they just sent them out there because it's like, you got to run here. Like, it's just one of those things that you got to check off the list. Um, and it's the last season that you get to run in, the, in those stadium. Yeah. In the stadium. So, Cer- yeah, lots of emotions. A special place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I bet. Uh, you mentioned uh, teammates mm-hmm. going along uh, for this experience. What does that mean to you to, to share the race and just the entire – time there in Eugene with teammates who have also qualified it's super exciting I mean it was looking back on my time at Furman we didn't really we didn't have a program that was at this level and so a lot of our early meets where we were traveling to the west coast for either you know the Stanford meet or Peyton Jordan or um NCAAs once we got to that point it was just the Gary's and then Troy and I we called it like our little family um (laughs) And so now that we have, like, even just at regionals, like, we had so many more people than we've ever had. Um, and it just creates – we had a little fan section when the, um, like, the steeplers were going. Like, it's just so exciting that our program is where it is now. And to have all these people that you see every day and train with and, like, want to be around are also traveling and doing their own races too. Um, it's really exciting. And so we have – like, I've never had a female with me at a national championship for track. And, you know, I did – indoor nationals two years ago I was completely by myself and it was just Rita and I and now we have one girl that's in my event which is really nice because you have someone to warm up with and cool down with (laughs) Um, it's very good for nerves Um, but then we also have two people in the steeple and then Frank Lara on the 10k again you know we would have Troy you know he took that nasty fall uh, in the steeple and that was probably the most emotional I've been about a race Um, but he's usually been out there with us and he probably would be uh, if he didn't have that fall but, yeah, so Troy Re- Troy Reader in the yeah. 3K steeple was in position to qualify right down to the last water jump mm-hmm. uh, and took a really rough fall. But you're right, he's had an amazing career and, and certainly somebody you probably expected to mm-hmm. to be alongside you for the yeah. trip as well. I don't I don't remember a race where like he hasn't been there. I mean he's we've he's my closest friend on the team. Um, so that was really hard to watch and I can't imagine what he's going through right now. I know he's pretty broken up about it. Um, but you know, it's, you can't have a comeback story without a heartbreak. So yeah, uh, he'll come well back. Set. He'll be fine. Yeah. And you've been through some adversity yourself, uh, certainly <laughs> yeah. to, to say the least for the people who don't know, uh, you know, Allie lost her dad and, um, how did that impact you? Not just as a runner and, and not the family relationship, but the way you talk about your teammates right there and mm-hmm. what they mean to you. How has that changed what Furman means for you, what running um, with a group of people means for you? Well, so I was a daddy's girl growing up. Uh, he was my everything. And, like, obviously I love my mom, too. <laughs> I love her very much. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely a daddy's girl. And so losing that person that you look up and aspire to be and just someone that's always there, it's devastating and um I was in a pretty dark place for a while after that because I, I found out uh, over Christmas break my freshman year. And so the second semester freshman year was just, yeah, I don't remember much of it. I'm pretty sure I slept most of the time. Um, and then I got injured, so I wasn't running either. Um, and so I think that I have such a commitment to my teammates and the people that are like presently around me so much because they were the ones that brought me back. 
Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that got me back into the sport. And I mean, that's why I have, oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. That's why I have like such a big connection to like Troy and a lot of the fifth years and, or Frank even, um, and the Gary's like the ones that were there when all that happened. And like, obviously I'm connected to Savannah and like, um, the rest of our sophomores and freshmen that are, you know, coming to nationals with us too. Um, but I have a special bond with the, the original crew, I guess, if you want to call it. Um, and just the ability to, cause I mean, my mom's not going to be in college with me. Like I, you know, I kind of had to get through a lot of that pain away from home and away from your support system that you've had for all these years. And so I had to find a new family and my team became that. So I hope that that kind of legacy continues after I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I've heard that sentiment from so many people about team becoming family, regardless yeah. of the situation that their life is like, um, and in the way that through running through the sport, we help each other through those mm-hmm. times. And, uh, I think it's a really amazing story, the way those people helped you. And I'm yeah. sure the way you have helped others uh, yeah. as well. Um, You'd have to ask them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I do have one impression of you from before this interview. Uh-oh. I was running up at Lake Summit in the fall, and I had just gotten through a, a race, and I was just kind of in a recovery phase, and uh-huh. just out there trotting around, and I had gotten up one of the big hills, and uh, I hear somebody coming up from behind me who was clearly running a lot faster than me. <laughs> and it was the first time I'd ever crossed paths with you, actually. And I re- very distinctly remember as you passed, I just mentioned something about how nice the day was. And, and you made a oh, comment. about yeah, yeah. You made a comment about how it was, you know, the, the first beautiful day of fall. And, mm-hmm. and we shared a few words. And um, my first impression was just how positive and, and friendly you were. And to make that impression on me in just a few seconds, I'm sure you've had a much more lasting impression on your teammates. Well, when you have all the endorphins going, that's not too difficult. <laughs> it, that's right. It was a beautiful day, and it's yeah. part of why we get out to do it, to, to be one with, with nature and, mm-hmm. and our thoughts. And, but, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a fun moment. So as you prepare now for this last stretch in between the East Regional and heading out to Eugene, what does a peaking phase training look like for you? Uh, it's actually not terribly different from our regular schedule. We don't like to change up things too much, um, but I'll peel back. Like My long runs are usually 90 minutes long, and so I'll run an 80-minute long long run, which is still long. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of long runs. Yeah. Um, and then our workout, we have a workout tomorrow, and it's, our, I guess, our last like hard workout. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of doing three sets of it, we're doing two sets. And so it's just... Same stuff, just a little bit pulled back. Just a back. little bit of a taper and yeah, try um, to stay fresh. Paces really aren't that different. It's just a little bit less volume. We'll pull back our circuit for weights. We'll do our Monday circuit, but then we probably won't do one on our Thursday because we race Saturday. Uh, and then pre-meet and all that kind of stuff's the same. And then I guess our Wednesday run is usually like a reduced long run, and we'll split that. And so I'll still run the same amount of mileage. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be in two runs. Yeah. So. Has that changed at all over the course of your career, what this phase looks like? Has that been tinkered with based on your past experience, or did you find something that worked early on for championship races? Uh, well, the first few, at least, I mean, I don't, I didn't know what my body could do. I never mm-hmm. really run under their training before, so a lot of it I just put into the coach's hands, and I feel like you kind of have to do that because you – don't know what's best you're you know 18 when you're coming into school you know and they've had a lot more experience and so and if you're doing exactly what they tell you to do then they know if it goes wrong exactly what's changed and so um I did that I still do that I mean the only input I think I had a meeting with coach Rita today and the only thing I changed was the the run that we're splitting I'm doing like 10 minutes more in the morning than I am in the afternoon mm-hmm. instead of doing it an even split. That's like the only thing I changed um, just for my mental sanity, but it's pretty much just up to them. I do what they tell me to do and if it works great and it has worked. Yeah. Um, it's it's so, been successful for sure. Um, now I do like to have something a little quicker. Like if that's not in my training at all um, leading up to a race, then I would request to have that in there. But could you it's give usually, an example of something well, so like what that our, looks like? Our workout tomorrow, um, which, you know, they put together, I've done it in the past, but it's uh, 2K, just tempo, and then it's 800, 400, 200, 200, um, each getting, like, you know, the 800s at, like, 
230 pace, five minute mile pace, and then like a little bit faster, 400, and then like 200s are at 33 seconds. And then the second set of that, it's the exact same thing. And then the 200s are getting a little quicker, like trying negative split the last yeah. couple. A little bit of cut down, a yeah. little bit of championship style right. racing too. Cool. Um, but that's, I mean, we've done that work on the past and we're just putting it back, um, you know, roughly a week out from the championship. And then our Tuesday workout is, I think, mile repeats with some 300s. Um, so we'll have like, another sort of easy tempo and then some hard closing so yeah great um anything in particular you do mentally to try to to focus in and and be in the right frame of mind for race day so that's actually i pick one thing every year that i try and change because i well i didn't always do that but the first few years i was like trying to do everything at once and i just would do it great for like a month and then just couldn't seem to like keep it up. <laughs> a little overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, all right, can I focus on one thing and just get that in place? And then not that I don't ever have to worry about it again, but like it's kind of my back pocket. I always do it. And this year was make my bed because I don't do that. <laughs> um, and then also work on. Mom will be proud of that Yeah. One. <laughs> she'll be, she, she like only took you until you're 23. Um, <laughs> but, and um, mental stuff. I actually downloaded the Calm app from like, it was like Apple's app of the year. Um, and I listen to it when I go to sleep, which is really nice. Uh, but they cool. also have like some just meditation stuff and it sounds super weird, I guess, but, uh, it's helped just allow me to be alone with my thoughts. And I think after everything that I went through with my dad and just all the grieving thing, I was so afraid of being alone that I just mm-hmm. surrounded myself by noise and TVs mm-hmm. always on. And like, people are always around me just to kind of. Like I was afraid to be alone. And so that was, um, but then on race day, you're alone a lot. Cause you're, you know, if you're warming up by yourself or mm-hmm. you're at the line and you, you have friends that are also lining up with you, but in the end, it's like you racing. It just added another level of stress that I wasn't necessarily used to. Um, yeah. cause I was so, you know, mentally bogged down with so much noise. Uh, and so that's what I focused on this year was trying to like get myself to a place of inner peace and calm. Um, and I actually think that's helped a lot. And so there's just, you know, breathing stuff I do where it's just like hey can you focus on your breath and nothing else just to calm everything down and so yeah I think I think the mental part I, I do a lot of weird little tricks now that I didn't necessarily used to and I think it helps it also clears your mind before the gun goes off and the, when the gun goes off like it doesn't matter what you do mentally but like once that goes off you're in race mode like yeah. that, that that is something I feel like that's universal um that just happens but leading up to it it can be kind of terrifying <laughs> yeah that's a great insight yeah. absolutely um I am sure Saturday the night's going to be successful. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> after that, what's going to be next for you? Uh, I am going to keep running. I'm going to join a pro team. Um, I'm, you know, we have Furman Elite with yeah. Robert Gary here. Uh, and I've also talked to Brooks Beast out in Seattle. And so it's kind of down to those two. And I have a lot of conversations that need to happen <laughs> before I make that decision. Um, and it's a very hard decision to make because, like, I mean, my life's been in the southeast for so long. Sure. And so it would be kind of odd to move all the way across the country. But if you're chasing a dream, then why not? But, yeah, and so, I mean, I'll, I'll still race USAs. It's just I don't know what kit I'll be in. And then I also – we were talking about this earlier, but I took the GMAT. Um, and so I'm waiting to hear back from Clemson to see if I got into uh, their MBA program. And so if I stay here, then I'm – would do there like because it's downtown Greenville and so I'd have the option to do it downtown and then I talked to them about if I am moving I can get into their online program yeah. so assuming they accept me I hope they accept me <laughs> we'll find out in like a week <laughs> so fingers crossed <laughs> I might be listening to this and be like I shouldn't have said that <laughs> um but yeah so it's you know if I leave then that's also um an option so I'll still be continuing my education I think it's important to have something else in your life going on that's not just running it's um, a balance yeah yeah so that'll be my balance <laughs> yeah is there a long-term running goal that you have you know in the back of the mind somewhere yeah I feel like most people that are trying to run post-collegiately their goal is the Olympics I, I mean if you're not in the sport I, I, I it just doesn't make sense for me to continue racing if that's not my goal like I've you know the collegiate system is so tough and you know well actually running a diamond league meets would be pretty sweet too but I don't know. I want to run in the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> it's been like a childhood dream of mine, and it'd be really cool to see it happen. But there's a lot of steps between now and then. And, you know, another thing that I talked to the Gary's about this year was process goals. Cause yeah, I feel like that's absolutely. where I've um, kind of faltered a little bit at national championships where it's like, this is the place I want to be. And it's like, well, why don't we make goals that's like during the race that you can kind of check off to get you to a position where you could potentially be in that place instead of just 
doing it, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so. if, you, if you take care of the right things along the way, right. you'll end up in the spot where you can where you be, be most successful. Right. Absolutely. So it's nice to make the, you know, the Olympic dream is my goal. And a lot of people can say that, but it's like, all right, can we back up and make some realistic goals that I can achieve, uh, you know, tomorrow and then a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. Um, I think that's really important. And it takes a good coach to kind of be able to sit down and like create those with you. And the Garys have done a very good job of that. Okay, let's go ahead to the bell lap. Oh, gosh. Quick okay. hitters. Here we go. Uh-huh. Uh, what's the best thing you've read lately other than a GMAT test oh, prep I don't know book? if I would say that's the best thing. <laughs> um, well, my favorite book, I keep it by my bedside. It's um, Think Like a Champion by Dick DiVenzio. Best yeah. book I've ever read. I've read it multiple times. Awesome. Uh, what shoes are you running in right now? A Brooks Glycerin. Brooks Glycerin. Nice. Mm-hmm. High cushion neutral action. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how much sleep do you get per night? Nine to ten hours. Wonderful. Yeah. Well rested. Yes. Like now that. I am at least. Now the school's out. <laughs> yeah. That's great. What do you crave after a big race? Oh, something sweet. Something sweet. It doesn't sweet. matter what it is, but I need something sweet. Yeah. And then water. I need, well, water probably first. Hydrate then, first, yeah. then go for something sweet. <laughs> yeah. Favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, gosh. I love the birthday cake ice cream. If you can dip oh. it in like chocolate. Like I want oh, chocolate okay. cake on top of it. Yeah. That's my favorite. Okay. Is. Nice. A uh, celebrity crush? Ed Sheeran. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I listened to him. That's my like alarm when I wake up in the yeah. morning. That's super embarrassing, but and he was also in Game of Thrones for like one episode. Uh, you got a favorite song? <laughs> uh, well, him? I listen to the eighteen when I wake up. Okay. So yeah, um, yeah. But the, I mean, I like all of his songs. He's, just, he's got a beautiful voice. Yeah, can't deny great. that. Oh yeah. gosh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for everybody who wants to watch Ali race in Eugene, it will be at five twenty-five p.m. Pacific on Saturday the ninth. That's eight twenty-five back here on the East Coast live on ESPN. We're really looking forward to it, and I hope a bunch of people will tune in and support you along the way. Yeah, Allie, I hope so. thank you so much for coming in. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Absolutely. All right, to put a bow on tonight's episode, we want to give a little love to one of our favorite listeners since day one, Kyle Kugler, local legend, second place finish at the Conquer the Cove Trail Marathon in Virginia this weekend. Great work, big boy. Hope everybody enjoys settling in for four nights of pizza and pineapple juice as we watch the NCAA championships. We will see you here next time to give our insights and analysis from that meet. Maybe even get a little update from Ben's elusive marathon training. It's a secret, secret plan. It is quite secret. And start our look ahead to the summer track circuit and the U.S. championships. Take care. Talk to you soon.